When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just got to this point where I was just wondering what what is the point of all this. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I'm your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app or sharing the episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple of bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, you're going to hear from romance novelist Marianne Marlowe. Marianne lives in Central Virginia, where she works as a computer programmer, DBA. She spent 10 years as a university-level French professor, and her resume includes stints as an au pair in Calais, a hotel intern in Paris, a German tutor, a college radio disc jockey, and a webmaster for several online musician fandoms. She has lived in 12 states and three countries and loves to travel. Hello. Hi. I'm so glad you could join me for this. I'm really excited to do this. Thanks for inviting me. So let's get started at the very beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing and how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Well, it depends on what writing you consider. Um, Publish, writing a novel, I didn't really consider doing until around, I guess, 2013. Uh, actually, I'll take that back. I started trying to write a novel in around 2000. I wanted to write a fantasy novel. I was reading like a lot of like Robert Jordan, and I was trying to do it. I got involved actually in a writing community online where you swap um, um, critiques with each other. And I never had the courage to like actually give one. I get, like put my own writing forward. I gave critiques every month and just never gave them any writing of my own. Um, and then I read George R. R. Martin, and that pretty much put a stake through my ambitions. I was like, I could never do this. What am I? <laughs> what, what am I even trying to do? So that was like a long time of, of the not writing fiction. I mean, I wrote some short stories, and I did a lot of blogging. I wrote a ton about music, and I found like in the process that I really loved, like the revision process. I loved having something down that I could sculpt. And um, eventually, I, I had the idea that I wanted to write a novel, but it, I. The, the idea that I had like just sat there in my mind for a really long time. And um, when I finally sat down, I, I went to do a NaNoWriteMo. Somebody had challenged me to do it, and I, I did. And I spent like the first week writing this this zombie romance novel. And then I was like so stuck until I started. Um, so I read Anne Lamott, and you know she basically is all about write what you know. And I'm like, well, I don't really know <laughs> zombie romance. <laughs> So I went back and I rewrote this sort of like one of these like wish fulfillment kind of like stories about my life. And it wasn't a memoir, but it was sort of like, you know, like what if kind of thing about my own life. And I wrote it and did, finished it in nano. Um, no intention of publishing it. Although obviously when you're writing, you can't help but fantasize about like what wouldn't be hilarious if, if this was somehow put into book form. So that novel, I finished it and I spent about a year revising it. Uh, a friend of mine was doing Pitch Madness that that winter. And um, she said, you should try it. You should just see if you can do it. And that's really where my 
main interest into publication came was kind of like this backdoor curiosity about like, this is interesting. I want to see how this part of the industry works. And so I started doing the contests. And then after that, she said, you ought to actually do a Korean agent. And I was like, that's funny. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I really fell into this sort of backwards out of like, I wonder what the next thing is like. And then I just got, you know, obsessed with the idea of getting an agent, which I took three books to do. And then after that, I mean, I kind of, obviously, once I started looking for an agent, I was thinking about publication, but always sort of like this crazy idea that was like, like, like getting an interview on NPR or something like, yeah, that could happen. (laughs) I started like my writing was mainly my my main focus and publication was sort of an afterthought. Mm. So you got interested in competitions before you even started querying. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't, I knew nothing about any of it. I, I was like, I did, I, I threw my hat into the ring. Of course I didn't get picked. I mean, I wasn't even liking any, any consideration, and, but I learned so much about it and I read other people's things and I, I learned so much about, and I read all of Query Shark, you know, I was like, I'm going to win this. And I got into one, one of those, I got into Query Combat with that novel. Oh yeah. And then, and I got my very first query I sent out, like I should, it wasn't my first, but the day that I got my very first request was the day that I, I got into query combat. So I was like, all right, you know, um, I'm on my way. <laughs> Little did I know that was, that was the, that was the height of that, that book's journey. <laughs> it's funny because you and I talk sometimes because you help us with pitch war stuff about you and I being very similar. Like we both love Excel spreadsheets and everything. Mm-hmm. And I also wrote my first novel in NaNoWriMo and my first book that was published by a publisher was a zombie romance. <laughs> oh, I want to read that. <laughs> I, I love I love it. I mean, the thing is, I went to see, um, I went to the movies with my kid and we were watching something else and the, the trailer came on for um, Warm Bodies. And I like smacked my daughter on the shoulder. I was like, no. And she was like, oh, I totally want to watch that. And I was like, oh, you traitor. That's my book. My book has come to life. <laughs> I <laughs> know I can't ever write it. So you talked a little bit about it, but can you tell me about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be specifically a published author? Because it seems like you were dabbling a little mm-hmm. bit kind of for fun for a while. Once, once I was like querying, I mean, the idea of that it would eventually, t- I think of it this way. When, when I was pregnant, I know this is a weird aside, but when I was pregnant, I used to read all of those books about like what to expect when you're expecting, mm. right? And like, they don't actually talk about having a baby through the whole book. The book is about you being pregnant and then giving birth, but there's like nothing beyond that. So like, it's this thing that you don't really think about. And it's like, I felt the same way sort of about like, you get it, you're trying to get an agent and you don't really think about going on sub. You don't really know anything about it. Like you don't, all that is so mysterious. It's just something that happens later. I wanted to be published in this kind of like far-fetched fantasy forward thing. I would never thought about, like, I never thought about self-publishing at that point in time. It wasn't really until I had an agent that, and we were going on sub that I was like, oh, this might actually really happen. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then it was kind of a real, more real thing. And I was, I, I didn't, didn't expect to sell that book either. Cause I, most of the people I knew had such a struggle on sub. And so when it sold, it was just, okay, <laughs> here we go. Crazy. The whole thing has always felt like that to me too. When I go to conferences and I do book signings, I feel like the biggest world's biggest fraud. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome there. A lot, a lot of imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your writing group and then Pitch Madness and Query Shark. How did you start learning more about the publishing industry? Like how to go about it, how to write query, everything. I read everything. I researched everything. Yeah, I I did a lot of homework. I 
read so many blogs about um i've read you know after getting my getting agent i read everything about going on sub you know so there's so many resources out there um it always it surprises me when like my mom's always going hey i know this person she wants to call you and talk to you about how to get her nonfiction memoir published and i'm like i can't help with that but you know there's a lot of information online you know that's what most people do is they go and they just do a lot of research and they read a lot of agent blogs and other authors journeys it's i'm always fascinated by other authors journeys i read those all the time people post them Mm -hmm. especially with pitch wars too i always read like pitch wars when the mentees get get picked i love to go read like their personal stories i think they're all really similar but it's still so much fun to, to see how everybody comes at it. Yeah. So if this podcast existed, you would have listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I also just obsessively read as much as I could. I think we both kind of got started around the same time. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the publishing blobs were rampant. Every agent and author had blogs on how to get published and the industry and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, st- I still I, st- I still go read Janet Reed's blogs even now, like about querying yeah. the questions that get asked. It's, it's always, I don't know. It's, it's such a cool, weird little niche of the world. You can't explain it to anybody outside of it. Mm-hmm. Like once you're in, you, you, you know, all of the, the lingo and the weirdness, but outside of it, trying to tell somebody what you know, the difference between being querying and being on sub or something. Yeah. It's definitely some, some unique stuff to the publishing industry and to writers. So you started querying. Then how long did it take? What was the querying process like for you? All right. So that first book I trunked when I just, I wrote the second book to get into, I didn't write the second book to get into Pitch Wars. I used Pitch Wars as a um, deadline for my second Mm. book. I hadn't, I hadn't really expected to get into Pitch Wars. I just wanted to submit my query and see if I got any bites. It was basically more like, does this query work? Right. That Mm -hmm. was as far as I expected to go with Pitch Wars. So I had written the second book and it did really well in Pitch Wars. Like I got a lot of um, agent interest at in the agent round, like something like nine, which at that time was a lot. <laughs> now it's kind of not. <laughs> then um, I got no interest in it though after that. I had no interest in it from like when I cold queried it, I got zero requests from that book. Wow. And it was weird because like, yeah, I was just like, I, the contest does well and then it's just nothing so i had basically decided to fling all the queries out on that one in december right after pitch wars and i just some and i was already working on my third book at the time i started it during the window of, um while i was waiting to see if i got into pitch wars so i had half of it and i wrote the rest of it during like nano that year and then i was ready to go with it by like february so i started querying it in february and i wrote that book specifically like with a concept in mind, because I like kind of had written two books with like just vague idea of what I was doing. And this one was, was I wrote a hook. When I went to query it, it was like totally opposite from everything that I'd had before. I got 15 requests. I also had this weird idea in my mind that on that one, I would query, like before that I was querying like junior agents because I thought it'd be easier. But this time around, I decided to just on a whim, I'm so weird. I just said on a whim, I'm just going to query people whose names are on the agency. <laughs> I was like, I'm going for broke. I'm naming it. Like if if their name is in the agency title, that's who I'm querying. Wow. And I don't know. I don't know why I thought to do that. I think it's because the only person I did get a request for from that Pitch Wars book was the person that I queried and accidentally thanked him for requesting my Pitch Wars novel, (gasps) even, even though he wasn't a Pitch Wars agent. 
Oh, no. <laughs> and he was the head of that agency. And I just was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And it, it actually turned out really well because I'd queried Jane Distal and she requested it. Mm. And then she's not who I actually ended up signing with, but she gave my query and my materials over to a, another agent there, her assistant, who is who ended up signing me at the time. So let's go back a little bit. That first book, you sent a query to an agent and thanked him for requesting in Pitch Wars, even though he hadn't participated in Pitch Wars? I did. <laughs> I didn't mean to. It was just I had it in a Google um I just copied it out. He had a form to do the query. It wasn't an email. So I just copied it and dropped it into his form and didn't like have a chance to look at it because it was this little tiny box. And he requested anyway. Well, the way he requested though was, there's nothing. All he did was he wrote me back and he said, I don't see anything attached. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, um, oh gosh. All right. Well, I'm going to take, I'm going to run, I'm going to run with that. (laughs) Was he confused? Did he think he had participated in pitch wars? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, he, he ended up rejecting me, but he read it apparently because he had like some feedback, but it was, it was really funny. I like, don't recommend doing that <laughs> to, to anybody. It was com- yeah. seriously, completely my own brain fart. But that's good for querying writers to know, because I think so many writers think if they make one little mistake, it's over. Right. The agent will automatically reject them. But you made a mistake and he ended up requesting anyway. And then you ended up getting feedback, mm-hmm. which is one of the best results from a rejection. That's great. So then what happened? Can you break down for us the journey from signing with an agent to signing your first book contract? She offered. I went through the whole process of nudging other agents. And I decided to go with her. I had this, I have this idea that whoever offers first is the person who loves you the most. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm really superstitious about things like that. So I was like, um, and I really liked her vision for wh- when I talked about to other people about the other agents about the book, I wasn't quite sure they were getting what I wanted to do with it. And so she did, I wrote her back like panicked, like, I don't know if you're intending on me revising it this way. And she's like, no, no, I totally totally see what you're doing with this book. And I, I, I want to, you know, the changes I want to make are going to be totally different. So she had me do a few things. We did a month, about a month's worth of, of revising. And then we took it out. In the first round of sub, um, it like was probably about six or eight weeks, I think. And uh, we heard nothing. Like we got rejections from about five different places. And then on the second round, the editor who ended up signing me, Wendy McCurdy, she had just left Berkeley and come to Kensington. So she was just starting to acquire new authors. So I think we just basically got right in the door at the right time with her. And so that was around probably two, two and it was like early September. So I've been thinking that was about two or three months after we started on stuff, which was really fast and not normal. And I was really grateful because I wasn't expecting it. And it was just, just a shock, you know, but a happy one. The show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, and we're about to get into that first cue. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Okay, this is the one that got me my agent. I should say first off that the name of the book that sold is published as Some Kind of Magic, but uh, it didn't have that title originally. It went, Dear Agent, I am seeking representation for my 80,000-word contemporary romance, I Want You to Want Me, a rock star romance with a Tristan and Isolde twist. Biochemist Eden Sinclair heads downtown to catch her brother's acoustic gig, unaware she's left work exuding chemical temptation in the form of a lab-engineered pheromone perfume. 
At the club, she doesn't recognize a grungy, flirtatious stranger as internationally famous rock star Adam Copeland, not until after they've gotten to know each other, biblically. After Eden discovers both what kind of perfume she was wearing and what kind of celebrity it may have attracted, she's faced with a dilemma. Keep both the cheap pheromone trick and the rock god or come clean and lose him. Self-doubts compound when she explores his massive online fandom and convinces herself he'd never be attracted to her without powerful chemical help. But Adam confesses he was charmed by her initial ignorance in his identity. Years of lonely touring surrounded by idol-worshipping fans wanting him only for his fame, his wealth, or his rock rock star image, have left him skeptical of romance. With the snakes at the tabloids digging through Eden's trash for secrets and half-truths, it's only a matter of time before rumors of her company's pheromone testing shake Adam's confidence in her as well. Eden might be banished from the tour bus forever if she can't find a way back to the unspoiled trust they found in the beginning. I've moved in the world of fans and musicians through my own love of live music, the connection with musicians I've followed, and the fan forums I've managed. I'm a member of RWA. I have published short story, blah, blah, etc. Thank you for sharing that. If anyone processes that kind of information better visually, there's a link in the description where you can read the query in text format. So Marianne, how has your experience been since signing your contract? Have you had any surprises along the way? What has your journey looked like since then? It's been bumpy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that anybody has like a normal, there's like, like any kind of one standard journey that anyone takes. But mm-hmm. I, I, signed a, I signed a two book contract. So um, that all went really well. And it's easy to think that how you start is how you're going to continue. So when I had the first two books contracted, I thought that, you know, the, the next thing would be the third and the fourth. And I, I did end up having a third and a fourth contract with Kensington, but they weren't, they weren't as straightforward as just, oh, you know, you, you have these two books with us. You're, you're our author now. The third book was actually, we had an option clause. So the third book was one that I presented as a third book in this series, and they weren't inter- interested in that. So I ended up pitching like six different ideas at once, and they didn't want any of them. <laughs> but they did want me to write something. So I ended up on the phone with my, my editor and we talked through some of my ideas. We ended up mungling, munging some of them together so that several of my ideas came into like one book. Mm. And so then I had a contract to write that book. Similarly for the fourth, they didn't want any of the books that I had actually already written, unfortunately. So they wanted me to write something totally new. And so we did the same thing. We came up with a concept and that, that book was written under the, my pen name, Lorelai Parker. Were there any things you learned that you were surprised about once you started getting involved in the publishing industry? All of it was surprising to me because I didn't really know. I think one of the things that's fascinating to me is to be like an author conferences where you get to meet other authors and there's people whose names you know, right? Because you've you've read their mm. I know it's like crazy to have not not realize that, you know, everybody is just a person, but it's fascinating to me that like Authors all have this similar kind of neuroses, I guess. We mm-hmm. would, but we all have the same kind of ways of kind of approaching, not the world, obviously, but just there's just something about writing that puts people in this kind of similar boat. And we all kind of speak the same language in a way that we all have these same questions. We all have these things that we're trying to overcome. Like, how, you know, you ask people ask all the time, like, how do you how do you get past the blank page? How do you get past you know writing? blocks drafting everybody has these problems and they're things that we're constantly grappling grappling with and so i think it's fascinating when you get around other authors i think that's for me was the biggest surprise is how much of a common journey we're all on 
together. Mm. It's again, it's something that when you're not in the realm of writing, you can't possibly understand it. But once you're in, you're just swimming in it. (laughs) (laughs) It is time for the quick round that I call author DNA. These are things we talk about as writers to kind of define who we are as writers. It doesn't resemble any actual DNA, (laughs) but they're just fun questions that sort of classify us. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I would say I am 100% a pantser. I have plotted. I plotted my last published novel with Kensington. I I had to because it was, you know, it was too too contract. It it was okay. I survived. But I really am generally a a pantser. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? The first book I ever wrote came in at draft form, um, 127, 721 words, which I remember because it was a palindrome. (laughs) And I found that cutting that down was a nightmare. So ever since then, I write under. I always come in, I try to come in under 60,000 because I, I add so much in revisions that I'm going to get to 80 without trying. I can't, I can't, I can't cut words without adding more. When you start a new project, do you usually start with character or plot or concept or something else? Concept first, character second, and then plot is like a distant last. <laughs> do you prefer coffee or tea? Both. Oh, wow. <laughs> Coffee's morning, tea's afternoon, Coke Zero's lunch and dinner, and beer wine and wine are nighttime. Wow, whole schedule. <laughs> got a whole, whole drink schedule. I love drinks. When you write, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? I can do either, but usually I have Spotify playing, some kind of Latin reggaeton. On your first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? God, I wish I could get it right. <laughs> if I could get it right, God. I would never I would never finish a book if I had to get it right. I, I'm definitely get it down. All right. What tools or software do you use to draft? Scrivener. Nice. Me too. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hinted at that. I loathe drafting. <laughs> <laughs> do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? So I think I'm writing in sequential order, but then when I revise... <laughs> It may not be true. Um, I write what I what I think is, is chronological, but sometimes things don't work out that way. So that's the end of the author DNA section. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them or did you realize they weren't an issue? I can think of a really specific example. I When I was writing my second book, even though I, I started writing it when I got my when I got my agent, I said, I think I might write a second book for this. And she said, do what you want. You know, it's always better to write what's you know appealing to you than try to write something that you don't want to write. So I sat down and I decided I was going to write the second book. And as I was writing it, and I hadn't even sold the first one yet, but I still in the back of my mind, I kept thinking of, of readers going, I like the first one better. <laughs> That's all I could hear was, uh, this is all right, but the first one was better. Or, you know, the converse, you know, like, well, I like this one. This first book was terrible. <laughs> so I, yes and no. I mean, there were people that, that, definitely said that they like the first book better, but you know, they, they can be read out of order. So I get a fair amount of people that don't compare them. So that was your main concern is, is <laughs> I, it wasn't my main so it's just like so it's just an example of something that was uh-huh. just sticks in your head. You just stupid things stick in your head when you're writing, something that probably will never come to pass. But yeah. I don't I think with the second novel it's hard not to think that people are gonna be comparing them. I mean I don't think that anymore because I've written so many, but it was a second book. I was just going, Oh mm-hmm. that, that would suck. As writers, we definitely always get these worries that when we say them out loud seem kind of silly sometimes. 
That's part of why when I was coming up with the name for this podcast, I was thinking of keywords and I found qualms and I knew it was perfect because writers have so many worries. So many, so many worries. So now for the third cue, do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is different or interesting or unique? So I'm going to take a detour. I, I started taking these um, writing, I guess they're kind of like coaching. It's with um, Becca Syme, who does better, Write Better Faster. I started doing this in the fall. And they do a thing called Clifton Strengths, which you find out your top, your top five strengths and how, and then you, they apply them to how that, that works with writing. My third strength is ideation, which I thought was hilarious because I'm not a plotter. I don't have ideas, right? So I was like, I don't understand how ideation plays at all into my writing. Um, so I was doing a coaching call and, with Terry Schott and I said to him, like, I don't understand why I can't seem to write a book a second time the way I wrote the last one. Like the last thing I did worked. So like the first book I wrote, you know, I just wrote it and it came out fine. The next book, I came up with a little system to get myself to write it. And that worked great. And then, you know, like I said, I plotted this book for Kensington. I had this whole like massive beat sheet outline that I put everything in and it was perfect. And the next time around, it didn't work for me. I couldn't do it. And he started laughing. He's basically like, well, that's, that's ideation because you can't stand to do something like the same way every time. You hold, it's you get bored with it and you need to come up with a new thing. So I don't have a ritual because every time I come up with one, it doesn't work for me for very long. I say that about drafting and, and about like the first, the hard parts of revising. I mean, after that, I pretty much have like a little system I go through of pushing it out to Word and reading it and just fixing things. That part's easy. But to get the, the words down for drafting, I have to basically trick myself into it every single time. That's interesting. I also struggled because like the first book that I wrote just came out so easily. And then the second one was harder. And I was like, maybe the first one was a fluke, even though the first book was terrible. Like no one should ever read that, you know? Well, for me, it was my third book that when I sat down to write it, I was shocked that it was so hard because I'd spent all that time in pitch wars dealing with a book that was already written. Mm. And so I I was doing a lot of like, Revising, it was hard. Revising was hard. It was a lot of, you know, but when you're dealing with words that are already written, you forget how hard it is to make them up in the, to begin with. Like every, every time I'm sit, sit, sit down, every sentence for me is like pulling teeth. And once I have them down, it seems like how they just got there like magically. So I sat down to write my third book and I, I imagine it like a metaphorically, like if you were sitting down to play like a game and you put down your chessboard and you put your pieces on it. And like, I was like, drafting is like putting the pieces on the, the chessboard, right? And then when I started trying to write, I was like, no, it's more like when you pull the pieces out and they're like, you know, half of them are gum and like <laughs> you've lost some of them. And, you know, they've got this, this, this like paper clip that's being, you know, <laughs> held for one and everything's just a mess and you don't know where like anything's at. You don't have the pieces. So it was like, it's so much harder every single time I sit down. I'm always like, why, why is this so hard every single time? Mm-hmm. But I've learned like, you just, I just have to get through it. If I can get that first draft to, to, to the end and I get, I'm getting worse at like getting to like three quarters and then like abandoning a project and going to do a different project or format one that's already written because that's more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having to keep coming back to them. And then I'm like, why didn't I just finish this last month when I was... <laughs> in the zone. I don't know what I was writing anymore. Did you have any moments in your journey that felt like a low spot? Like you weren't sure if you're going to keep continuing on, you know, with your, with your publication journey? Yeah. Like, so uh, my first agent, she left. And so I was in a long period of time where I wasn't really sure, like my publishing contracts, they dried up. My options weren't getting picked up. I had all of these books written that I thought I might want to maybe self-publish, but I wasn't quite sure. 
and I, I did publish one of them last spring and then another one in the fall. But in between there, I just got to this point where I was just wondering what, what is the point of all this? My a- agent and I parted ways. I'm still querying and it's like sometimes I think I don't think I'm ever going to get another agent, but I've found my way back to where I really love the books. I mean, the drafting's still hard, but I, I love the books that I have and I'm, I'm working on revising them and I'm going to put out two more books myself this year. One of them went on sub, so I feel like it's not a bad idea to go ahead and let that one go. That's actually my Pitch Wars novel. Mm. The other one is this weird kind of dangerous liaisons retelling that I can't even get a request for. So I'm like, I, I'm, I'm about ready to just go out with that one. I'm still trying. Like This is the way I went about querying in the, in the beginning anyway, was I said to myself, there's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And all I have to do is just keep trying. So I just keep writing new books, put them in the query queue, and then just forget about them and keep going with my own side thing. So cause once I've decided to that I can do my own, I don't have to sit around waiting anymore for, for publishing. It makes my, me a lot happier. I figure if, if anything goes trad, that's great. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. I've done trad. It wasn't like, it doesn't like make you a different person. It's just another thing. Hmm. So the thing that kind of has kept you going is, is the actual books themselves. That's what is keeping you kind of in the game. Yeah. And I think it should be. I think that yeah. if, if you can be happy with the writing, you can be pretty much happy in all of this. If you get too fixated on things you can't control, it can be really frustrating and a bad experience all around. And good. There could be good things. I don't mean to yeah. sound so negative. It's just that it's it's you can't control those things. So yeah. whatever the things that are going to make you happy in, in, in publishing, it's it's going to come down to like what you can you can control. This is a bit of a side note, but you've been a Pitch Wars mentor for the past couple of years. I was a Pitch Wars mentor since 2012 and was doing it for a couple of years when I didn't have an agent. And then my mentees were signing with agents. It was a really weird experience because I wondered do I even have the right to be a mentor, you know, yeah. when I don't have representation? Felt like my mentees were kind of surpassing me and going to the next level before me. Did you experience that at all? Actually, I, I go through it in a different kind of way. I look at other other mentors and their mentees because I don't usually have that kind of success. I, my mentees don't typically get signed. I pick my mentees based on something ephemeral that I can't really place, but it's like, I know it's good. I know their writing's good. I know their books are good. I love everything about them, but I also know that there may be some reasons why they don't get picked up and I don't think about it. It's not like the reason I pick them. And I tell them from the beginning, you you might not get agented through this. I just want you to be happy with the experience. And I feel like I give them my all. And I think that I do a good job with getting, I, I think they're glad they got picked so I think that they have a good experience, but I look at the other mentees who are all getting signed and I'm happy for all of them, but it always leaves me with that sense of maybe I shouldn't be a Pitch Wars mentor, you know, because what if, what if it's something that I'm doing? And then I, I say that sometimes to my, my friends and they're like, look, look at everything you've done for this one writer. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know I've done the best that I can. I know that this one person's life has been changed because of me. So it's like, that's what I have to think about is like what is meant for one person and not really worry about the rest of it. But it is hard sometimes when you get that comparison game going. Do you have any mistakes that you felt like you made along the way that you would like to offer up kind of as a cautionary tale? Yes. Um, I don't know that I could have done anything differently. But I mean, looking back, there's things that I wish I would have like known how things were going to turn out before making decisions. Like for example, like I said, the my agent relationship changed. And really early on, I thought I needed to probably part ways. Um, there just was a disconnect. 
And I didn't because, well, mainly because I had nothing to query. I mean, I was in options and I was in contracts. So it didn't make any sense to because I couldn't go find another agent. So I was like, well, I'll just ride this and see where it goes. I really kind of wish that I had had more faith in myself earlier and just done what I needed to do instead of waiting so long because, you know, time goes by and it's, it's a publishing in general, is just a really, really slow thing. And you need to take your, you know, risks when you need to in hope for the best. I go back to Becca Syme. She was mentioning on in a, in one of our, our Zoom meetings that when she talks to authors who have self-published for like, you know, 50 books or whatever, and she asks them like what their regrets are about early on. And they say they wish they hadn't waited and I, I think about that a lot because these books that I'm starting to publish now, they're like, like so the Pitch Wars book I wrote it in 2014, 2014, and I'm just now, I've waited six, six years of trying to like get it out into the world through other means. And it's like, why, why do I keep, why do I keep expecting something different to happen from this? And it's, and I'm writing more books too. So they're just all piling up behind this bottleneck. So yeah, I think for me, it's, I wish I had made my moves sooner than I, I, made, I made them. I, I mean, it, it doesn't, in the end matter because I'm going to do what I'm going to do now. Yeah. I think that's the one thing is it is, I don't know if you can call that a mistake because there's no way I could have known, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the one thing that I look back at and I go, I wish I, I wish I had known and I wish I could have made different decisions. That's interesting because I've heard other people say something completely opposite is that they, when they wrote their first book, they rushed to get it published. They were so anxious to get it published that they, they made hasty decisions that looking back, they wouldn't have made. Right. I can see that as well. I, I look at like my the first book that I published and maybe it's not the best thing I could have published. I can see that too. You can get yourself into a situation where like maybe your first book doesn't sell well because you hurried too fast. This may be more of a of a self-pub thing than a trad thing that, that people have said that on because mm. once they started self-publishing, they started churning them out. You know, they were able to, they'd have more books out now if they had started sooner, I guess. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I mean, I don't know that that advice works in any regard, because you don't know, you have no idea what the future holds. So those kind of things are sort of regrets that you have with no no solution. Yeah. For listeners who may be in the querying trenches or almost through the querying trenches, you know, starting to think about querying, what advice do you have for them? I would say just persevere. It's This is a numbers game. You have to be willing to just continually put yourself out there. I say I got 15 requests on this first novel, but I I meant the one that got agented, but it had 54 queries out. And that's not a lot. I mean, I know people that do double that, but it was also my third book. And I had done 50 queries on the one before that and the one before that. I put three books out into the query trenches this past year. And, you know, it's like you get like a percentage of requests. If you're getting a percentage of requests, you know, you're doing good. Just keep at it. Just keep having faith and keep writing. Just always keep writing. That's the main thing. This is kind of the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Mm -hmm. So who are some of the people who helped you along the way? Well, I have to give the big shout out to Brenda. Brenda Drake, Pitch Wars. (laughs) Not just because of getting me into Pitch Wars, which was a huge help, but she brings people together. And every single person that I'm going to now name, I would not have known if it weren't for Brenda Drake. (laughs) Because every single one of them are people that I met through Pitch Wars. Either they were mentees um, at the same time I was. Well, actually, all of them were mentees at the same time I was. Some of them became mentors, and that's how we ended up becoming friends because mentees that become mentors have a sort of different experience. I will say that my 
closest group of writing friends that have keep me going every single day are Ellie Blake, Christian Wright, Jennifer Hawkins, Summer Spence, Ron Walters, Kelly Siskind, Kelly Garrett, and Kelly Newby. And Kelly Newby was actually the alternate. We used to do alternate pitch wars. She was the alternate mentee to my mentor, um, which is Jamie Collins. And I should thank her as well because she, if she hadn't picked me, I wouldn't have known any of these people. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that's how we met too, is through pitch wars. Yep. So yeah, awesome. Lots of Kellys on your list. <laughs> I know. And they're all spelled differently, every single one of them. <laughs> do you want to tell us about your latest release and where people can find it? Like I said, this was my uh, pitch wars novel back in the day. It was called Calamity back then. I've changed the name of it many, many times. It's called Falling in Luck. comes out May the 4th, be with you. It's about a girl who thinks that she is pretty much made of bad luck. And one bad thing after another happens to her until she falls into the arms of the man of her dreams and thinks that her luck is changing. But it may just be that her luck has gotten worse. Oh, <laughs> it's a sort of pretty in pink sort of but i didn't like the way pretty in pink ended so i fixed it and what name is that published under it's under marianne Marlowe. because you write under a second pen name too lorelei parker right right yes that book crushing it came out last july with kensington so i think that's it marianne thank you so much for joining me on Corey's qualms and quirks Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Marianne's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on your podcast app, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.